I'm not a person who tells people, if you write it this way, you will have success. I believe there's this box that all writers come up against where somebody at some point will say, you can't do that, or this is what this is. And if you want to publish in this genre or subgenre or whatever, this is what it has to be. But I think that the authors who achieve success are willing to push that box. So yes, I think that in upmarket fiction, there has to be an emotional level, but I do like a plot-driven book. I mean, I'm a suspense reader, right? I don't know about you, but I'm a really quick buy reader. And if it has this hook that's like, that sounds really cool, then I grab it and go. Hey there, welcome to Lit Match, a podcast made to help writers find the best literary agent and business partner for their publishing career. Thank you so much for joining me in these meaningful conversations with literary agents. In each episode, we talk about the agent's manuscript wishlist, how they agent, and many invaluable publishing insights. I'm Abigail Perry, a developmental editor and the host of Lit Match. And I'm always on the hunt to find interesting literary agents who are making big differences in the publishing industry by advocating for authors and making their dreams come true. Today's guest is a true joy in the publishing industry. Time and again, this literary agent has blown me away with her exceptional leadership skills, endless generosity to share her knowledge, and expertise that comes from not only creating and starting her own literary agency, but also building an amazing list of clients that have grown into established career authors. I'm speaking about none other than the sensational Jessica Faust. Jessica is a principal literary agent and the president and owner of Bookends. From its inception in 1999, Jessica has always believed that her number one job is to be an author advocate, and as Bookends has grown, she adds an agent advocate to that responsibility. In addition to constantly growing Bookends in new and innovative directions, Jessica represents many best-selling and award-winning authors. Her focus is on bringing more underrepresented and marginalized voices into publishing, and her areas of expertise include mystery, suspense, upmarket, literary, and women's fiction. In nonfiction, she's seeking books and authors in business, leadership, personal growth, and self-help. Jessica began her career as an acquisitions editor at Berkeley Publishing, Macmillan, and Wiley. In addition to nearly 15 years of blogging, Jessica has a regular role on the Bookends YouTube channel has taught at New York University's continuing education program, been a publishing columnist, and has been honored by a number of different publishing organizations. In addition to speaking engagements throughout the world, Jessica hosts regular workshops and speakeasy and is a member of AALA. What a joy to talk to Jessica today. Let's get into it. Hi, Jessica. Thank you so much for being here. I am thrilled. I am obsessed with you. I'm obsessed with bookends. I don't know if the listeners out there have watched the Bookends Literary YouTube channel. If you have not, you are missing out. You need to stop this podcast and come back to it and go listen to them because they are phenomenal. There are so many insightful resources for you to learn about how to get a literary agent with representation, how to be a stronger writer in general. It's wonderful, wonderful beyond words. So I am thrilled to have Jessica here with us today. You are a light and I'm mm. so excited to talk to you about your manuscript wishlist and hopefully find some writers who can connect with you. 
thank you. I don't really know how I can follow up with that. <laughs> thank you very much. I'd love to talk to you about your manuscript wish list. I'm going to talk to you about your relationships with clients and how you work. But before we start that, I'd like to talk about how you got into literary agenting because you started as an editor, right? Yeah, I was an editor for about five years. I started out at Berkeley Publishing back, I would say a million sales ago in the publishing world. And I went on to work with Macmillan and Wiley for a bit. And I was working on the Completed It's Guide series and had this long subway ride home where I thought, well, I could probably do this on my own mm -hmm. without working for somebody else. And we opened Book Hands as a packager initially. It was within a year that I really started to miss the fiction. And some packagers work with fiction, mm -hmm. but I missed sort of the creativity that came from the authors instead of always coming from us internally as we develop projects. We branched out to open our doors as an agency and really never looked back. We pretty much stopped packaging after that and went straight into agenting. And it's grown from there. And that was more than 20 years ago now. That's amazing. I'm so happy that you did go into agency and never looked back because you have wonderful projects that come out Thanks. all the time. What are some of the top story genres that you love to represent in your manuscript wish list? My list has taken quite the turn over the years. I think one of the most exciting things for me about being an agent versus an editor is as I change and my reading changes and the market changes, I can really shift in whatever way I want with that because I'm not stuck in the confines of a certain publisher and the type of books a publisher does. I, I would say that's one of my greatest joys with being an agent. My list is definitely leaning more upmarket these days. Book club, fiction, women's fiction. I always say upmarket is the baby commercial fiction and literary fiction would have. So it sort of falls into that space. I like books with a strong hook, somewhat of a commercial hook, but I like that writing and plot that might be a little more elevated that comes with upmarket fiction. I'm still doing some genre. I'm doing primarily mystery, suspense, not a lot of thriller. I think of thriller as sort of more that international, political, and that's not usually my foray. Domestic suspense or thriller, however you want to swing that. And I am also doing some nonfiction, but my nonfiction list is pretty narrow. And it's really the books I want to read as a business owner. It's really what it is. It's books I want to read as a business owner is what the majority of my nonfiction list is. I have a real focus on seeking more marginalized voices in all genres I represent, but in nonfiction specifically in the business genre, I'm seeking not white men. <laughs> really trying to bring more voices to the overall business genre that are women and people of color. And most of the business bookshelves are white men and art authors who are marginalized are writing to a marginalized audience. And I think it's time that they be given the voice to write to all audiences. I'm really making it a mission to do that. I like the stories that haven't quite been told yet. I do a lot of cozy mysteries. Despite that, my taste tends to run a little dark. I'm always even surprised by that myself. Just a little bit of an edge. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't <laughs> like that. That's great. I deeply, deeply appreciate your focus on marginalized voices. That is something I feel very passionate about. And it was something that when I was doing some research on literary agents and I gravitated to you for many reasons, but I do think that you are actively bringing those stories into the world. When you are looking at what's on the market today, 
you've mentioned looking for females and especially in the business market. Are there any titles out there that could be used as comps or examples that are the topics that you're looking for, the voices that you're looking for, so that when writers are trying to identify, yes, I am the one for you, that these would be good comps? Yeah, some of them aren't out yet. I represent Deanna Singh, whose book Actions Speak Louder comes out next spring. And it really is a look at DEI in the workplace, but how we as leaders can do better, the changes we can make. It's really the call to action, which are the types of the books I'm looking for, sort of that call to action. I tend towards leadership books because I'm a leader. I'm always looking to better myself. DEI is really important to me. However, I need a new look at it. I think there's a lot coming out. There's been a lot out that are sort of general. This is what companies need to do. This is what we as individuals need to do. And I think that we've reached the point where the message needs to be inclusive in every business book. It doesn't need to be just a DEI book. I think it's part of good leadership, good business ownership, good management, whatever we're doing. I think it needs to be part of the common discourse, not just something special you pick up because that's a concern of yours. And, and I really want books that are empowering for women. And I think what we're seeing is a real truth telling too in these books. I think for so many years, business books for women were very much what we need to do as women to assimilate into the culture that's already there. And I think we need to understand where we're at and what we're facing. But I think there needs to be a more global change in these books. Mm -hmm. I love that. I agree. I hope that you find those books. I want to turn and look at fiction a little bit. I love women's fiction. I love market fiction. I agree. I think it's the baby of commercial. <laughs> Very perfect way to put that. When you are looking at a market in women's fiction, there tends to be emotional plots and there tends to be plot plots, right? Mm -hmm. How do you like to see the two come together? If we're talking women's fiction specifically, I always say it's a woman's journey. I think that whatever the woman's emotional journey is, it corresponds with whatever the physical actions of the plot are in some way, shape or form. I'm not a person who tells people, if you write it this way, you will have success. I believe there's this box that all writers come up against where somebody at some point will say, you can't do that, or this is what this is. And if you want to publish in this genre or subgenre or whatever, this is what it has to be. But I think that the authors who achieve success are willing willing to push that box. So yes, I think that in upmarket fiction, there has to be an emotional level, but I do like a plot driven book. I mean, I'm a suspense reader, right? Which is why I tend to shy away from more traditional literary fiction mm -hmm. because it's not as plot driven. It doesn't have that hook. I don't know about you, but I'm a really quick buy reader. And if it has this hook that's like, that sounds really cool, then I grab it and go. For example, for years, I have been and will probably always be obsessed with Alaska. And so when Paige Shelton was like, I want to set this book in Alaska, I, Paige Shelton has been published for years as a mystery writer. And my basic response is, just send it to me. You don't need to say anything else. Just send it to me. So I think as a reader, we have those certain things that we always gravitate for. Yeah, towards. you connect to. Yeah, connect me to the wilderness. That's what I'm hearing from you. Get yes. Well, and me to the snow. <laughs> I've had the same reaction when Heather Weber pitched to me. It was the Blackbird book because it was about a woman who inherits her family's cafe and it's Southern and it features these Blackbirds and it has magical realism. And I said, 
you said every magical word, just send it to me. And for Heather, who had been a client for a number of years, I think Heather and I figured out it was almost five years from the time she told me about that idea till the time that book was published. Mm -hmm. And it was a lot of her just, she threw an idea out there, but she didn't quite know what it was yet. And it was a couple of years before I saw any sort of proposal for that book. Mm -hmm. Then she was probably working on it, right? Yes. I personally really like stories of family and friendship and tend not to gravitate towards new adult kind of stories. That college age, 20 year old, fresh into the world book, I guess I've aged out of. (laughs) I hate to admit it. I tend to gravitate towards stories that are about family and it could be parenting or it could be parenting your parents and friendship. Now, I think there's a real lack in the adult market of friendship books Mm -hmm. in the same way there is with the YA market. A lot of it is spouse or partner relationships. And I think we undervalue the need for friendship. And I would love to see more books on that. That is so interesting because I wouldn't have thought about that until you said it. And friendship is so valuable. You get quite a different relationship with a friend than you do with your spouse. It doesn't mean you don't love your spouse, but our personalities in general, just by being human, we connect with people in different ways. We need that camaraderie. We need that mentorship, joking, having fun in all different ways. Do you think that there are any examples out there with that friendship arc that you're looking for? I always think of Kristen Hannah's Firefly Lane. I think yeah. that was sort of the, what we all think of when we think of that friendship book, but it's mm-hmm. kind of interesting that we kind of think of the one book, right? We don't have a ton to go to, but if you ask me for a book about a woman grieving the loss of her marriage, whether it's divorce or death, I could name about a million of them, but you know, grieving the loss of a friend as an adult, you know, is equally traumatizing and YA does a lot of sort of friend breakup books, but those don't end when you're a teen. Those kinds of situations and stories also happen. Friendships, I think, almost become more complicated as an adult because now you may have a family of your own and how do you maintain those? And I think there's a lot to be explored there that really just hasn't been. That's really fascinating to me. I think with YA, this is just me. Yeah. You you have my brain firing in multiple directions. (laughs) With YA, We're going through certain comings of age, right? So it's like you're learning the world. You're exposed to different scenarios, different circumstances. You're learning how to break your worldview in different ways, traditional coming of age. But you're always coming of age in certain stages of your life. So as a YA with friends, it's natural that you're having this deep relationship and how you're experiencing new things. But usually you're not completely the person who you're going to be in the YA, where now The older you get, the more settled you become and who you probably really are Mm -hmm. in your essence. And that friendship, they know you at an intimate level that probably transcends all of those other relationships because they know the full you. Not to say that we don't grow, right? Because I think we're always continually growing, but I'm definitely different than I was at 16. And it becomes complicated because let's say you've had this best friend. It's really the same as the YA stories, but you have this best friend who gets married and you and the husband hate each other or your kids don't get along or there's all sorts of the past wrongs are still hurting and there's all sorts of things in there that I can, that can be explored. But this conversation goes a little to your question about sort of the emotional Mm -hmm. of the upmarket. And I think that when you write upmarket, you almost look at the emotional in an equal way as you do 
the physical plot. I think they really have to work together because there is a much bigger emotional arc in an upmarket book than there typically is in commercial. Commercial tends to be pretty strictly about how the characters play into the plot. And uh, upmarket, I think, has to be sort of more of an equal balance. That's interesting. When you're thinking about plot twists, do you think that all stories need some sort of plot twist regardless of what way you're going? Yes. But I think a lot of authors will misconstrue that. Mm-hmm. Okay. They'll immediately go to, and I'm just going to use Gone Girl because it's an easy one, right? They'll immediately go to, oh my God, it has to have this like <gasps> moment. And they don't think a plot twist does. But I think that as a reader, if it follows along nicely and is a nice story, we lose interest. We need these big moments. And I think there has to be one, more than one throughout the book. It doesn't have to be this complete 180, this, oh my God, I never saw this coming kind of thing. But I do think there has to be a twist in almost every book to give us that bolt of electricity that keeps us going. Yeah, the reason that you keep that one and pass it on to everyone, right? Well, and that's what you're reading for, right? You're right. reading for that big moment and then how it all gets fixed. That's kind of how it's working. And, and I think one of the things that we've been led to believe with domestic fiction suspense is that we should never see the plot twist coming. But I don't agree with that. I think you can absolutely see the plot twist coming. It's how it comes. That can almost be the bigger surprise. I won't give it away. One of my favorite books of all time is Jody Pico's Leaving Time. I don't know if you've read it or not. The plot twist in that one threw me and I could gush about Jody Pico for hours beyond the hours, which I won't do, even though I would love to. <laughs> but when you talked about earlier about how there are just certain things that sit with you, like that was it, it was about grief. It was about mums and daughters. It was about elephants and a crime yeah. subplot. I was like, yes, yes, yes. There are normal elements to it. That book for me was just checking all my boxes in all the right ways and then some. And it was interesting because the plot twist does usually in her books, at least generally come right towards the climactic moment mm-hmm. in some way. I'm wondering, do you think plot twist, that's a good place for it is a climactic moment? Or do you think this is something that could be occurring in different areas in the structure or multiple times in the structure? I think it depends on the writer, but I think that the story has to hold. And if you're the writer who's purposely holding the twist to the end, you're going to lose your readers. They're never going to get there. But it doesn't mean that you have to put the plot twist earlier on. But I always say the big climax, those big moments, there's not one in the book. There are a series of little ones, of little things that might not be a twist. There could still be the big twist, but there has to be a series of moments that are almost in some way a reset that we think it's going to be solved, you know, at page 150. And then all of a sudden, boom, it all explodes again. And we almost get to start over, but in a different way. So I think that's key. Kia Abdul-Duluth, I represent, take it back. I don't even know how many years ago now, a few years ago, that book was published. And I still will think about the plot twist in that book and be in awe of what that book did. And I compare her to Jodi Picoult, but in that same way where throughout the entire book, you're kind of working in these moments. And even when you think it's done, it's not. I have a lot of Goodreads books to add to my Goodreads list. This is great. I'm excited. If you're going to get offered representation, you have to write a great book. It comes down to mm-hmm. page one. And I, I, I do follow up episodes on first chapters and you need a brilliant first chapter. But that first chapter is going to be a letdown if the rest of the book isn't reflective of the strength of the writing. Right. 
So just something like this, there are moments though, where I feel like as readers and as business partners who be representing stores, you feel this connection of, I have to be this one's agent. What is that moment to you? And what pushes you into, all right, I liked this too. I've got to represent this one. It's physical. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely physical. I get it in my gut, in my heart. And I know pretty early on, and then I'm reading just to make sure it holds really at that point. Mm -hmm. But there is, there's an absolutely a physical feeling. And it's funny because authors really feel when an agent offers representation, they get all fluttery and nervous, but I'm doing the same thing yes. because at this point, I have to have this more than I have to breathe. And it is devastating when an author signs with somebody else because in our heads, we've already fully committed to this book. Mm -hmm. you know, I've already made a submission list. I'm coming up with a revision plan. I am all in on this book by the time I offer. And, and not that, you know, I mean, on a very logical, intellectual level, the author has to go with the agent who's going right. to be best for them. And I support right. that 100%. But yeah, it's a real physical feeling. And I, the thing that happens is it starts from the blurb. I mean, the very first and most important thing is the blurb, because I can't sell a book that doesn't have a strong hook, that doesn't stand out from the other books on the bookshelf. If it sounds like every other mystery or every other upmarket fiction, there's just no way I can find an editor for it. But more importantly, there's no way the publisher can put that on the bookshelf and have anybody want to pick it up, because if they don't know the author... They need something to really distinguish it from the other books. That's when I get my initial excitement, you know, and that's the, the request of the query. And then after that, what really happens is once you're reading, you lose all perspective of the book. You stop analyzing it. You stop critiquing it. You just lose yourself in it. Like when you fall in love with a great book, you're reading on your own. Yes, this is so great because I have felt that physical feeling. Yeah. The best way I can describe it is I almost feel like my heart is coming out of my chest. Mm -hmm. it's, oh, man. Exactly. You are attached in a way that you have transcended some sort of barrier that it was who you were before you read the story yeah. and who you now can become after you've read it, right? Yep. It just sits with you in a way that makes you more connected to the world, to people, to nature, to stories in general. I really, truly believe stories are our foundation of relationships, communication, our purpose. That is amazing to feel that connection and then to be an advocate for the author to help bring that story to other people. Because once a story is published, it doesn't become the writers anymore. It becomes the readers. Oh, it absolutely becomes the readers. And that's, I think, the hardest thing. You know, those reviews, all of those comments. It's the reader's book now. It's the reader's experience. It really is no longer the author's. And the conversation around it will no longer have anything to do with the author. And those reviews are sometimes raving and sometimes not so much. It's really interesting because I think that with writers, it's really important that they're open to edits, to revisions, because an editor, how you work with an editor is almost, and how you work with a nation, are you hands-on? Do you work very, with an editor? Yeah, yeah, very so. hands-on. I'm sure you do multiple rounds with writers before you even go to submission and try to sell to the editor. It almost prepares the writer for that level of different review, right? I hope so. Yeah. I mean, I hope so. I don't know. I think 
I think some writers are more prepared for it than others. I think it's definitely harder for some. I think sometimes you will see authors who push back and I don't think it's always pushing back because they don't want to do the work. I think sometimes we see authors push back because they don't know how. I can call you and offer a representation and give you my vision for what I think the book should be and how it might need to be changed and how we would sell this book. I think sometimes the author who pushes back isn't being obstinate, but they don't have the same vision, but don't see it. Mm -hmm. It's one thing for me to tell you that you should do this, but it's another thing for you to be able to look at it on the page and have the same vision to make that happen. That makes sense. Communication is essential to this job. Yeah, I mean, this is a business partnership, plain and simple. And I think those initial calls the authors have, what they really need to test out is, how is the communication with this agent and do I feel comfortable with them? Because my clients need to be able and are really good at it to push back and say, I disagree. I don't think it can do that way. But it, it's not about agreeing or disagreeing. It's about seeing the bigger picture. I say this whole chapter needs to change. I think it should be this. And the author disagrees. They can disagree. But what I want them to see is why I'm seeing that it's problematic. You may disagree with my course of action for the changes, but what you have to be able to see is why it's not working for me as a reader, because I'm not going to be the only reader. And if it's not working for me, it's very likely not going to work for somebody else. I love that you want writers to push back. Everything that I have seen with you and James on the YouTube channel, and he's wonderful as well. People just feel so connected to you too because you're genuine. You know, it's like you're watching this and agents are people. I think that that's one of the first things that sometimes writers forget when they start going into the query process is they forget that an agent is a person and that you're looking for someone who hopefully can be someone that you connect with for the career. Some people just only have maybe one book in them. But probably the majority of the people that you're looking to work with are career authors. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Especially, obviously, for fiction. For nonfiction, most nonfiction authors have a career. Right. And then they're writing their book and they're sort of working them together. But yeah, for fiction, especially, the goal would be a career author. One of the things I often say is it's great to have the New York Times bestseller and the big splashy book. But personally, one of the things I'm most proud of as an agent are the authors who year after year after year have been publishing books and are on their 20 or 25th book and that they've maintained a career since the moment we first sell that book. And that's not easy. And I think that's an accomplishment that's not looked at enough in this business. I love that because I think that's something that writers do. They compare themselves to all these other best time sellers constantly, constantly. That's not good for your self-esteem. That's not good for your confidence. So to hear you have these authors who have made a career, book 20, book 21, book 22. Wow, what a triumph. The personal growth there. I'm sure that if they read their first book and they read their 22nd, it's going to be evident there how much stronger of a writer they got, right? It's a totally different person. <laughs> and how rewarding, how rewarding is that? Yeah, it really is amazing. I've been working with some cases with some authors. I've worked with them the entirety of their career. It's really That's an special. honor. I think that every writer has their own journey. And I would say the same to any agent who's listening and starting a career that you have your own journey. And I think with Twitter and these very active publishing conversations that happen, we lose sight of that. And that one's journey is not lesser than another. It's just different. And what success looks like 
for different individuals is different, but it doesn't mean one is less and one is more. I have authors that maybe on the page would be far less impressive than others, but yet they're making far more money and in many ways they're far more successful than the ones that others deem more impressive. Mm -hmm. So who's to say what's right and what's wrong and what's impressive? Oh my gosh, you're speaking to my heart here. <laughs> Hamilton's one of my favorite musicals of all time. As, as of many, right? Yeah. What I'm thinking about is what is the definition of success for you? Come on, Eliza's trying to get through to you. George Washington's trying to get through to you, Hamilton, right? But I think that there's so much beauty in that because if you can appreciate a journey, it is inevitably going to happen that at some point in your career, you're exhausted. The writer's exhausted. We get worn down. Publishing business is competitive. It's hard. It's brilliant. It has so many creative opportunities and it's never boring, but right. it's definitely can wear you down at certain times. When you're working with those writers, especially if they have this growth mindset, they can focus on the joys and the wins that come in the work. I love that you encourage that. It is a testament to your leadership. I love that. How do you help your clients who do get that feeling of burnout? That's a challenge. If I have a client who's feeling burned out, I really want to have those real conversations. My job is as their partner to really be the guide in this whole process. And sometimes it's a reminder. Listen, you have a family wedding coming up and you have the holidays and your husband always wants to take you on vacation. So I think that due date is not going to work for you. Let's pick something more realistic or when life happens and somebody is dealing with family difficulties, I want to be the person they can come to and say, I don't know if I can meet this deadline. I don't know if I can do this. And we can work that. As your partner, I'm also your support person who can just say, don't worry about this. I got it. We'll get it handled. You go do what you need to do right now. I think that's really important. I think the hardest thing for me as an agent is when people are really struggling with their confidence. Careers are up and down in this business. There is no straight line. And you can try to tell me that there is an author who has had a straight line to success. And I will tell you you're wrong because the ones that we look at right now that look like they had it so easy did not. There are a lot of ups and downs. You can be super successful and all of a sudden your numbers tank and you almost have to start all over. It's really being honest and also being aware that Sometimes you may shift in your career or your agent may shift in your career. And maybe sometimes the most honest conversation is the one where we decide this isn't the relationship that's going to work anymore, that you might be better off finding somebody else given the shift in your career. My favorite podcast on purpose, Jay Shetty. I think he's talking about how it's when there are these moments that it needs to be changed. It feels really sad because there's a lot of relationship that has gone into that. But actually by parting ways, you're giving opportunity for you to grow, but also for someone else to grow. Yeah. I'm a huge believer in that. Yeah. I mean, the, sometimes after a while, these things can hang heavily on us by freeing itself, ourselves from whatever that could be. It opens up our whole mindset and all new opportunities. It's hard. I mean, you know, a really good agent author relationship is a lot of great things and personal. And when those don't work out anymore, it can be hard because you've gotten to know each other's families and the stories and you have this very personal connection. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's necessary and at the end, it's usually okay. Yeah. And if you don't have any animosity toward them, you know, you're still supporting them, still cheering them on, just maybe not representing them. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. They're just finding home for somewhere else for a little bit. Yes. Yes.
That's great. We talked about preferring writers who are in it for one book and writers who are in it for their career. You've mentioned fiction. It's really important to be in it for their career. Nonfiction, not always? Not the kind of nonfiction I do. I tend towards prescriptive nonfiction. I just don't know that it's always going to happen. If you are an expert in a subject, you may write one or two books on that subject, but you are not necessarily going to be writing 20 books. And I think those nonfiction writers who have really gone on to write these sort of series, some of them just become so successful that they're really not. They're just rehashing. They're having somebody else take those first few books and rehash them mm -hmm. into different versions thereof. I don't think that's necessary. What I think with a nonfiction writer, especially in the business area, self-help, that kind of thing, is somebody who's using a book to work side by side with their career. It's usually more involved with that than it is somebody who plans to write 20 books. That makes sense. And then maybe another idea comes along as they're working, yeah. but for now, this is the one that's working. To yeah, I'm not asking it. someone to commit that they're going to be writing a book a year for me. Yeah. <laughs> but in fiction, you know, there is sort of an expectation that if yeah. you really want a career, you write on some sort of regular schedule. And hopefully you can get those 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25 plus. Exactly. Exactly. Now you are the founder of Bookends yep. and you are the president, principal literary agent. That's amazing Thank to you. not only just be this wonderful agent who you are, but also you've mentioned this in the beginning of the podcast, you are a leader and you are teaching other literary agents, you are mentoring them. It's something that I really, really value and have witnessed from afar with bookends is the evidence of this mentorship. And that feels so meaningful. Mentors are just live or die yeah. in any profession, but especially this one. Like there are areas that it feels like as a literary agent, you're just not going to know until you have experience. So to know that you have someone who's going to teach you that experience is just super, super important, I think. How do you go about navigating working with your clients and also being this team leader as the literary agent? Yeah, I mean, the one thing I've always said with this job from the very beginning, especially when people would say, well, how many clients do you have? And that kind of question. It really always depends on the agent and really the human. We all have an ability and a different sort of level of handling things. Mm -hmm. So my time management has always been pretty good. I'm pretty well organized, but I've seen agents who can handle about two clients and they're at their max. So everybody does things differently. My world, my career has shifted a lot in the mm -hmm. past 10 years, maybe even fewer than that. My clients, for the most part, I'm still taking on new clients here and there, but for the most part, my clients are pretty well established. I'm not doing a lot of editing. I'm not doing a lot of that hands-on work anymore. They're working with their editors. We're working on contracts. We're planning for next steps. We are doing those kinds of things, but I'm not at those beginning stages of my career where I have 15 manuscripts that I need to edit to put on submission, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. I am taking on far fewer clients than I used to. I, I don't know that my list is shrinking particularly, but it's not growing the way it used to, which is a real advantage. You know, I'm in a really wonderful position where I can be so picky about taking on new clients. I really manage to have the time I schedule myself accordingly. I try not to schedule meetings for the morning. So that's when I can really dig into the client work and the contracts and those kinds of things. And really, honestly, at the end of the day, I have an incredible support staff. 
I have a lot of people who keep me in check. I have my agents, but then we have a really solid group of assistants who are managing a lot of the things that I don't have to manage anymore. That makes a huge difference. I mean, it takes a village, you know, a village is yep. going to be a lot stronger than one person. Absolutely. We all have different talents and skill sets. And sometimes you have multiple talents, but you just have to focus on certain things in order to lift everyone up, right? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've really learned. Well, it's never been a problem for me to give people other things. So I'm okay with giving up on things. So yeah, that's a real strength. I think that's great because I think it's then an opportunity to learn as well. And, you know, by the time somebody starts here as an assistant and moves into the role as a full-time agent, they've had their hands in almost every aspect of this business. They know all sides upwards and down but just from working with me. So, mm-hmm. And I think that sets them up for success, however you want to define it, right? But I think it definitely they're prepared. The confidence yeah. level is higher. And yeah. knowledgeable. Yeah. And more knowledgeable, which is key, key, key. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so mentoring is incredibly important. I had a few people who sort of helped me out and guided me. And I think over the years I had sort of mentors who probably would never would have thought of themselves that way. I never had formal mentoring. It wasn't something that was offered in publishing. And when I opened the agency, a lot of agents weren't welcome to another agent coming on. They saw it as a threat as competition, as we don't need any more agents, that kind of attitude. So I didn't have a lot of support. I found my own ways to learn things and to be able to grow. But when I got into the position where I could do that for others, what I've seen is people have succeeded a lot faster with Mm -hmm. mentorship than even I did without it. It was a much slower grind to get to a certain level. Whereas the agents I mentor are moving at a much faster pace because they have a much larger support. Wow. So at the end of every podcast, I do a lightning three. So I do want to get to those three, but you just said something that really hit home with me because I think that they're, especially in these storytelling industries, I think that it is so easy to go to the mindset of, well, I was treated this way, so they're going to be treated this way. And that's how you learn. And I am always felt sick to my stomach when that is what happens. Yeah. So to hear that you are actively pursuing the opposite mentality and that you're seeing positive results, which I'm not surprised about, but positive results from that is so wonderful. And I think that just says so much about the energy, the creative focus, the companionship. You're just, everyone who comes to bookends is just going to get so much further because of you're empowering people instead of trying to break them before building them. We really work together and I feel incredibly lucky that everybody at bookends believes this and is really supportive of each other and each other's clients and excited for each other. And I think that plays a huge difference in everybody's success. There's enough for everybody. You're not going to run out of stories, right? And not every story is the right match for the right agent, right? I think it's big magic. I don't know if you've read Elizabeth Gilbert. Yeah, oh, I love that book. Yeah, so good, right? So her creative ideas, the creative ideas come down, they make a relationship with you. And then there was the story about the one uh, her away. Yeah, the one that flew away. And it was about the spinster and the Amazon. And then her friend like literally repeated the yeah. thing. Right. So great. I believe in it. Maybe people don't believe in it. I believe in it. I think that's true. 
I think that what is beautiful out of that whole story that she shares is that her friend told the story better than she could have told it because she wasn't in the right place for it. And that is what we want to do, right? We want to lift each other up. We don't need more pessimistic ideas out there. We want this optimism. We want this support of one another. Like the world is going to be so much better if we support one another. So yeah, I love it. I love that you're doing that. All right. For lightning three, get ready. (laughs) At the end of every podcast, I like to do a lightning three where you have to answer it in one sentence if you can. So tricky, but go for it. Okay. You mentioned how you've changed a lot in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Where would you like to be in the next 10 years, either yourself or your agency as a whole? But to be honest, I'm not much of a 10-year planner because I think that life is a journey and we have to be ready to take, Robert Frost said, the path less traveled. Yep. And I've really always sort of followed that. I have some real goals. I would like every agent at Bookends to be, AALA just did a report on agencies. They did a poll and the financials and what agents were earning. And I want everybody here to be on the upper edges of that Mm -hmm. and to be living a really balanced life. That's really important to me. I don't want work to define any of us. I want work to be used as a way for us to define the life we want. I want Bookends to really be able to continue to make real change in publishing in whatever way we can. I I really believe strongly that we need more marginalized voices within the publishing industry, as well as the authors and stories we bring in. I will continue that mission. And so I think those are the the two areas where I feel most strongly about where I'll be, what my role is, what my role will be is yet to be defined. I don't know. Maybe I'll be skiing somewhere and working from the slopes. I don't know. Off in your own wilderness adventure. Yeah. I love that because what that says to me is that you are willing to grow as time passes. And that makes you capable of handling really anything. That means that you are not going to get bulldozed over if something doesn't go the way that you expected. You adapt and you grow from adaption. And I also love the focus. You just pulled it back there about representing marginalized voices, getting those stories out there. I was a teacher years back and I had a Latina student. I taught creative writing and she wanted a Latina protagonist. And we talked about how she grew up with no Latina protagonist. It was, again, shocks me that I'm sometimes this blind, but like this white privileged woman. And here I am sitting there like trying to think of a title with a Latina protagonist and couldn't come up with one. Yeah. And that moment like really sat with me to know that this is something that you were focusing on. I think a lot of agents in the industry are pushing for this now. This is just very important and I support it 100,000%. Question number two, we talked about the music script wish list. Out of those genres, do you have either one title that was your favorite read to something similar to what you represent that came out this year or one title that you're really looking forward to next year? And what would that be and what genre is it and who's the author? Well, that's, that's hard because <laughs> I, I can never remember what I read sometimes, but read fiction that's sticking with me most right now is The Push, yep. which is a suspense thriller about a mother who questions her daughter's mental state. I guess Mm -hmm. is what I would say. It's a plot that's sort of been done before. It's a trope that's been done before where basically the mother thinks her daughter is a real problem, but nobody else really believes her. And it starts to think, well, who's the crazy one here? But the, the push was done in such an interesting way. 
in a different way. And I just loved the way the author took a fairly common trope and spun it in a way that was completely unexpected and terrific. In terms of fiction, I was a big fan of Livia Jai Jones, professional troublemaker. I just think she is incredible, you know, sort of the person you want to be. I really loved that one this year. That's great. Same light. And I hope I'll add all those titles and authors and links in my show notes for question number three. Out of all the books that you've represented, now you're going to be, yeah, I was like, because you're going to, because you're going to love all of them because you represented them, right? But out of all of them, is there one that you are especially proud of or sidestep that question and go for, is there one that you're especially excited to represent, which I'm sure is all of them, but if you had to pick this one that you're just like really holding on to in 2022 that people could pre-order, what would those titles be? I'm going to go back to one I mentioned, which was Take It Back by Kia Abdullah. I knew when I took that on that it was going to be a real struggle. It's a dark story. I just felt so passionately about, I mean, Kia is an unbelievable writer, but I felt so much that this story was so powerful and needed to be told. And she has since gone on to publish three books. The fourth one is coming out. And I'm super proud of that because I knew it was a challenge. The challenge I had selling it was exactly what I had predicted, but we found the perfect editor and the perfect home for it. And I just love that book. I mean, uh, yes, I love all my books, but that one I think was when you climb a mountain, some are steeper than others. And that one felt like one that I was just particularly proud of. Yeah. I think Deanna Singh's Actions Speak Louder, which is coming out next year, is also one I'm particularly proud of. I took her on, I may have taken her on in 2019, but I don't remember. Mm -hmm. DEI has long been important to me. We've had somebody come into the office and speak to us well back in 2019. And so that was a book that I really felt needed to be told. And she's the right person to tell it. And I just adore her. So I'm really excited about seeing what magic she can do because she is just amazing. She's an incredible an incredible one. I love it. I have so many to follow and to share and to put in show notes. And I hope all of that ripple effect of how stories can change the world and how we can become better because of stories is going to ripple because of your clients and because of the work you're doing. Jessica, I feel so honored to have had this conversation with you. I've learned so much. I just feel immediately connected to you and even more enthusiastic, not that I was before, even more enthusiastic (laughs) to just scream to everyone that they need to go follow you and bookends and all of your clients' works and everything that's coming out of bookends. But it just has been wonderful. And I'm so touched that you've spent some time with me today. The work that you're doing is meaningful and I'd really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was such an honor to be asked and I'm super excited to see your podcast and what it does. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me in this conversation on Lit Match. You can find the full list of Jessica's manuscript wishlist and the books and other highlights discussed in this episode in the show notes. If you liked listening to my conversation with Jessica and would like to hear more episodes with literary agents, please make sure to pass the show on and write a review. This helps me reach more writers ready to query a literary agent 
or who want to grow their writing craft. If you have any questions or recommendations for LitMatch, please email me at abigailkperry at gmail.com and I'll do my best to answer you. I hope you'll join me for next week's show. And in the meantime, keep writing. I genuinely can't wait to hear when you sign with a literary agent who is the best match for your business career and celebrate your book when it comes into the world.